Will media companies ever truly be good at technology? Why are so many websites uh, horrible? If you're in technology at a technology company, you are kings and queens. If you're in a publishing organization, you simply are. No matter what they say, you're not. Why a media company's website still matters at a time when they're pivoting to video and the, there's platforms and all this stuff. Welcome to our third bonus episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. In this five-episode series, we are bringing you these bonus episodes where we go into the weeds of building a sustainable media business. Today, we are looking at what it takes to build successful digital products. I sat down with Paul Ford, the CEO of digital products agency Postlight. We discussed the signs of a successful digital products team and when a project probably won't work out. We also talk about what media companies should think about when they are building their own digital products. Paul, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you. You have a foot in in a few different worlds because you actually get the edit side because you're a writer yourself, but you also code. Uh, This is true. This is all very true and very flattering. Thank you. So how does this impact how you view building digital media products? In a practical way, the, the way that it comes out a lot is I advocate for really good admin tools. Like, you know, just people are in there building things and very often they don't have good experiences building things. So that's that's actually one of the basics. My eyes are getting wide right now no, because I totally, I understand that. It's much. really hard, right? So we build... We Explain fo- what that means for those who don't know. Well, when you go to a website, you're looking at the front end of the website. You're looking at some code that's running in a browser and some HTML and it's, it's all dressed up and there's lots of ads and hopefully it looks good and it's kind of modular and you know what you're doing when you use it. Somebody has to put all that stuff in there. And that somebody is usually like number 50 on the list of of things to worry about because they cost money instead of generating money. So people worry about ads and they worry about brand relationships and they don't always worry about the editor filling out the box and doing the headline, which you really can give them a good experience. You can get a lot of cost of adding two extra steps to that process times every single story across every single day of the year is actually high. Well, you, what you find a lot in editorial organizations, and this is, we're going straight for the, the sad part, right, is a learned <laughs> helplessness. I was in one place where uh, the editors made a video of how hard it was to upload a video, and they filmed someone for like a half hour through the process, and then sped it up and edited it. <laughs> So that they could make the case that it was worth investing resources in uh, accelerating that process. It should have taken about a minute. It's taken a half hour every time. Yeah. And there, then you're pivoting the video. Yeah. Over over all the years, I, I sometimes forget the stories that we have done and the ones that I wanted us to do. But like one was definitely around CMS horror stories. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Look, I mean, the any CMS that has like a French accent in it. Oh, those it, are bad. There's also never, bad, there's never also, a good sign. There's a lot of... Um, like Norwegian ones that kind of came over at one point. They were Java-based. Anyway, there's a, uh, there are a lot of horror stories. There's a lot of... The, the things you run into a lot are uh, the huge tells. Huge tells are, whoa, it takes us about 20 minutes to update the homepage. Yeah. That one's getting better, but... For, Cough, Wall Street Journal. 
cough. Is, was, I mean, it, if, it's not just them. It's like every large media org hits that because there's all these different things that start to come together and all, all these database queries that are happening and then they cache and they, you know, on and on. And so it is a struggle. Yeah. I actually saw, I think it was, um, I forget who the Reuters reporter yesterday was uh, tweeting a link to his, his uh, story, but he couldn't find his story on, on Reuters because it hadn't gotten up to the Reuters site yet. So he had a, he had a post as aggregation of his story. This is real. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I know how that system works, or at least I used to, and, and that isn't shocking. Um, these things happen. It's, you have a lot of, it, <sighs> editors are rarely an institutional prerogative. They are at places, I, I think more at places like the Times, and mm-hmm. there are places where, you know, we are content and we are, our brand and, and our, our quality is, is what comes first. And so, and they have very large tech teams. And so some of that tech technology energy goes back towards the editors. But a lot of places are kind of holding on or still figuring it out. They just, the text box that was there five years ago is the one that everybody's still filling out. Mm-hmm. But why are so many, I mean, I'll just call them websites. Why are so many websites uh, horrible? Like if you go to the Daily Mail, I, I'll call them it. Like if you go to the Daily Mail, like nobody <laughs> well, in that's, the right that's one mind. where they're just like, they've embraced it, right? Like, here we go. <laughs> It's like performance art at some point. Like, I mean, nobody in their right mind could go there and be like, yeah, you know what? This, this, this strikes a good balance. Oh, this is great. I'm reading this article and oh, a little, little sponsorship. Of course, of course, you know, they're in business. Um, it's creeping. It, it wasn't that way on day zero. And then a new product shows up. You, you go to all the same events. Like there's somebody who'll come up to you and be like, look, I made a new ad unit. We patented it. Just one line of JavaScript. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and they hold up their phone and it just starts <laughs> shrieking uncontrollably. And they're like, isn't it great? And you're like, uh, sure, sure. It's wonderful. Um, I mean, there's a bottomless, and this is tricky. There's a bottomless appetite for uh, money in all of these organizations like you just can't get enough optionality into the org and it's not a technology problem it's like a it's organizational a it's problem. a product problem media organizations do not empower product people in the same way that they yeah. empower uh, um, uh executive editors when you go to a website or to consume a, dig- uh, a digital product are you able to see what their organization is like, get a good idea of what, because I always think like you can kind of tell, you used to be able to tell um, an organization that loved uh, to compromise among different power factions by like having, if they had like one of those, um, oh God, what were they? The uh, the carousels on the homepage. Because like oh, yeah. everyone was fighting. So the compromise was everyone wins. We'll put a carousel on. So like what I love is everyone just gave up and went with the hamburger menu because it's just (laughs) like I can just no it's mobile so we'll just here there's a feed of whatever content we've been able to like winch out of the uh, of our team and then over here is this like little three line bucket that we can throw everybody's annoying requests and look it's it's mobile like that's (laughs) that's how they solve for mobile it's I have a smaller area in which to dump this stuff. 
Yes, you can absolutely see it. One of the exercises, I teach a class in content strategies at the School of Visual Arts in the master's program in interaction design. And one of the exercises I do is we just pick a rectangle and kind of anyone on the homepage of the New York Times because they're young graduate students who are very enthusiastic about the change they're going to bring to the world through doing good design. And I'm like, let's talk about how many people are participating in that 100 by 100 rectangle. Let's say it has a video in it. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get all the editors and the web team and the and the various um, video editors and SEO and so on involved, it's like 50, 60 people are thinking about those little tiny box of pixels. And then you multiply that out and you've got, you get to the whole organization in the thousands really, really quickly. So it's always going to show. The organizational dynamics are always right there. You can Where they really show up is, is what's changing fastest, right? Like if you're getting more and more ads, sales has won. And it's a revenue, just straight up revenue driven organization that doesn't really care about what most of us would call quality. It cares about getting to the next quarter. If you're seeing big, beautiful features with lots of interactive graphics that cost a lot of money, but have a very speculative revenue potential, um, then you're, you're seeing an editorial victory. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. And then, yeah, the structure is, is always there. I mean, I think what you do is you just own and understand like the, you know, a newspaper has sections. That's a good thing. And when you see that, when you see a sort of sectional breakdown or, or people saying like, you know, people who want to look at content probably want to look at more content like that. And there can be an experience, multiple experiences for property. Mm -hmm. That's great. So when you're talking with, with clients, media clients, uh, how can you tell that a project is probably not going to end up where it should end up? Like, what are some tells? Well, you know, I have a a client service driven firm, and so I'm infinitely optimistic. I know, but like, (laughs) Um, not every project ends up where it should go. You you can get closer than you think with good product leadership. Um, Where things, what you can't fix is the, what you cannot fix in this world are fantasies about the media ecosystem suddenly. Like, sometimes people have fantasies that they're going to be the ones to solve it. And no one can, there's nothing to solve. Like, I think we know what this world looks like. We know that there are 8 billion ad related and ad tech companies. There's like three ways to put content online. And you're going to have to find a compromise between that whole universe. And you'll have to find a couple ways to extract revenue, but there are no, there's no miracle cure. Right. And I think if somebody's looking for a miracle cure, um, I also see organizations where the tech team is either demoralized or caught in a certain cycle where they really are like, ah, we're going to get that for you much, much later. Um, I have, that's like seven mm-hmm. sprints away. And that can, that's tough. That's when you tough come in, are you, are you a rival to the tech team or are you a partner? Sure. I mean, very often, I mean, who wants a stranger to show up and say, here's how you do it. It's a horrible thing. Okay. Um, so how do you put the internal tech team at ease? Because I think tech teams at publishers, it's a tough thing. Because yeah. like if you're tech, if you're in technology at a technology company, you are, you know, the the kings and queens. If you're in a publishing organization, you simply aren't. No matter what they say, you're not. No, you're not the star. You're not the star. Um, how do you? It's empathy. I mean, we know what they're going through. We also know that there are probably there are reasons for everything that's broken, and we know that it's very likely 
that they have clearly articulated those reasons and no one has listened to them. So you don't go in there like a plumber, like, who did this? My no. God, I got to rip this whole thing out. That just doesn't work. It's because you're you're the next plumber, right? <laughs> and the, they anyone can come along. You have to be... Honestly, the way it works now is we're all, you're all, this will sound a little feel good, but it's real. You're all in a Slack room and you're on the same, um, you're on the same GitHub repository and you're partnered with them or you're owning some part of the larger platform and you're building a thing and there are fights and there are conflicts and there's people who are really angry. A lot of times the person who's the most pissed off leaves in like three weeks like they're already out the door and they they're so frustrated and then like the people who, there's a point of frustration and toxicity that happens in these orgs which happens in all parts of a media org it happens in every org but media it's like there's almost a ritual to it yeah. and you go toxic i've done it i've been the toxic person and you you can either stay toxic for like five or six years because for some reason this industry will allow and accept that or you can go and i think that the tricky thing with technology and i always found this remember Remember this, I used to be an editor at Harper's Magazine and I was the person in charge of the web and I had career fluidity and flexibility that no one else had and I felt very weird about it because they would look at me and I'd be like, you're all really smart. You could get jobs in the building if you were if you don't want to do this anymore. And they were like, this is it for me. This is where I want to be. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so, so the tech team, for all of the stress that a tech team is under, they have far more, like 10 times more career optionality than almost anybody else. That's true. That's the, uh, that's the upside there. Yeah. So, I mean, they're in there. They get to roll their eyes at it way more than anybody else does. That's true. <laughs> uh, again, not from experience here. <laughs> um, so, what are some of your favorite digital media products out there that you didn't make yourself? I like growth. I like change. Like I, I liked the HuffPost redesign really well. I felt that that was about probably about a year ago now. It was a good compromise. Like just, and I mean that in a very positive way. Like it's just hard to get a very big platform out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked good. It it worked well. It was very modular. Uh, I still am really fond of, and this is ourselves, but I'm very fond of the work we did with Vice as a partner. I'm very fond of the platform we built for the Village Voice, even though it's going through some pretty. I liked that. Yeah, I thought that was like there's a good modular thinking that way. Um, I felt. On the social media side, the Twitter uh, responsive web client is one of the better pieces of software to be launched in the last four or five years. It's it's exceptionally good. Where I look a lot is um, New York Mag, especially now that Ian Edelman is back. Like that is a mm-hmm. they do things where you look at it and you're like, that's there's seven different typefaces uh, yeah. for those headlines. The new intelligentsia is 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 nice. I think it's really good. I thought that the work that they did relaunching the cut was good. And Ian's the kind of I, I know him a little bit. When you talk to him, he's just completely dissatisfied all the time, which is always a good sign. <laughs> like just there's more to do. There's more to do. There's more to do. There's more to do. I, that to me, that sense of forward motion and someone's mm-hmm. going to be in there with a dental pick, just like working on each individual headline and thinking about the interaction of the whole thing. Okay. So what are, what are two or three that you would be like, come on, let me fix this. Ooh. Um, I'm not, I gotta be honest. I <laughs> Come on. As opposed to all the lying I do. Um, I don't really know what I want right now. Um, if you'd asked me a few years ago, I might've said, oh, we need to snowfall everything. But that's incredibly <laughs> but expensive. But I mean a product that you, you, you like the actual content and stuff like this, but you're like, 
the product is broken. This, the, like how you are, you're doing a disservice to what you're doing and you should be doing a better job. You know, I'm actually less motivated thinking about that uh, with the, the big web properties, the big like revenue driving media platforms, because they are what they are. And it's, if I got in there and I could really fix it, I just, I'm, I'm too far along. I just know that all the reasons that things are the way they are would not change just because I had a lot of strong emotions. Individual properties, I think that, and this is what's tricky because I don't think there's an unbelievable amount of innovation to come like there was in 1997. Like, I think we know that people like to read articles of a certain length and there's only so much you're going to do on a per article basis, unless you're crazy and you want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars like your per article, you want to get that. So I think we're hitting this point of efficiency. Okay. You know, I know every organization is different, but what are three characteristics that you've seen of organizations that are really good at creating products? Incredible affiliation with, so start with this, start with true and genuine product leadership that is proven, that understands how to get something out into the market, not just implementing a CMS and setting up a, um, a content on top of it, but really able to think like top to bottom organization, what's day two going to look like, who's going to fill this out, what's our analytics, what SEO strategy do we have, how are we going to be stable, like someone who can go very, very deep. Um, sort of down to the metal, all the way up to each individual pixel and how the experience is going to feel. And then, so it's it's product, it's design, and it's engineering. Design that drives, design that is like really a design team that is a little bit crabby and a little bit um, focused on systems and focused on modularity and things fitting together. Because otherwise you don't, if you're always reinventing what an article looks like, you don't get um, any efficiency. You need to be like, here's an article, here's a pull quote, here's a feature, here's an interview, and know how those are going to look and, and the similarity between them. And then the engineering has to be very empathetic, but also just able to like take it away, build it, make it solid, make it scalable, and know that it's going to change. Like that's platform development, really. So it's product that is empathetic to platform, kind of driven by design. Those three things would be, the, and they're all very abstract, would be the things that I would look for uh, and prove an experience. Someone who can... Um, the other thing that's really tricky is uh, product man media in general, the um, product and design tend to do their work and then hand it off to engineering. Mm -hmm. And then they come back a few months later. The ones that don't where the product leader is like, I, yeah, no, I, I, I talk to them every day. Um, I inspect the element. I file the bug tickets. I'm in there. I used to do a little coding like that kind of connection to the raw materials right. gets you to, a much more integrated product that just kind of works as opposed to that day one launch. And then everyone's like, Oh no, we actually didn't land it. We now have six months of work to do. So we went through a period where, uh, people were saying that websites don't matter anymore. Well, now who is saying that people without websites? <laughs> I mean, I have honestly the company I have, like I have a tremendous faith in the web. Not necessarily, uh, I have a tremendous belief in like the value of open decentralized platforms and all that, but I have tremendous faith in the web to just must kinda, be a tough time for you. Uh, everything it is, <laughs> it's always a tough time for me, but it's you're fighting the good fight. Look, it's never, 
it's never been a utopia. It's always been piles of trash piled upon piles of trash on the web. But there's always been that beautiful core that I can go set up a web page and it'll cost me a buck or two and I can have a voice and an identity and a brand online. It's, it's not as simple as it used to be, but that's still there. What... <laughs> Why a media company's website still matters at a time yeah, when the we're pivoting to video and the, there's platforms. Yeah, and but the, see the web. First of all, the web is the infrastructure for delivering all this stuff. Even if you're in some like very nice native app experience, it's still, it's like everybody's just, everybody's like the web doesn't matter. And then they went and made their own browsers. I mean, it's just like, that's all those things are. It's like WebKit mm -hmm. views wrapped around a bunch of Chrome. And so they're like, oh, look at us. We're native. And it's, what happens is then the web is like, well, I can do that. And then... It's so expensive to develop new software and it's so horrible and it breaks so often that people are like, well, maybe if we could fall back to the web. And then you see it over and over. There's, you know, people are doing responsive front end mobile apps and then they kind of wrap them lightly with, uh, sorry, responsive front end web apps. And then they wrap them with these sort of very light layers of native technology. And then that's even showing up in frameworks like React Native where you can kind of use a sort of weird mix of web tech and native calls and sort of glue it all together and theoretically ship to um, iOS and Android at the same time. So it always creeps back in. It's like a like a fungus or a virus. <laughs> so for media companies, the, the their site is still going to be the heart of, of what they do. You know, and it's, well, this is for the most part. This is what's tricky, right? Because what they're seeing is, and what we've been seeing for 10 years is giant monolithic platforms at several orders of magnitude the size of even the largest media organizations except for like comcast right but like facebook is i don't know 300 billion or 600 billion market cap today i have no idea and the times is you know one or two i mean you just you're, you're talking right. about it's like the phone system versus the daily news it's just uh -huh. they're two different worlds and so for a long time i think everybody was just looking at feeds and going we got to get more like that we got to get more like sort of like social we have to integrate with social and so on but it just feels like two different worlds right you're going to have a brand and you're going to sell advertising and you might have some native content and you need a platform and identity that is representative of who you are and what your value is. How does the power of Google and Facebook impact how you build digital products? Um, Owned digital products. You can't ignore them. I mean, I think there is... But they set the rules in many cases. Well, this is the reality. Apple, too. It, it, it's, Apple, yeah. You, one, of the, one of the ways I think about this is that the terms of service of these various platforms are actually technology law. Like everybody's like, Congress should do this and that and the other, and it should. But the reality is if you're implementing something, Apple's terms of service are your, are your law, right? So they actually, they just set the agenda and they set the priorities for what you can do when and how. Mm -hmm. um, where it gets tricky is when they drop new technologies into the mix, like Google's AMP, which is like, you know, an accelerated way to look yep. at um, web pages on mobile. And are you pro amp? Ultimately, I'm pro amp. I'm 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 very sympathetic to anti amp arguments, but amp as a foundational technology, it's just Google's so big. Same as Facebook, it's so big. It's really hard for them to. Their priorities are just different, and so publishers get very paranoid. Well, because they're I mean they're a giant, and sometimes when giants like turn, they like crush what's underneath. No, them that's a friend of mine was accident. just like, can you know a friend of mine who is Google adjacent was like, how could Google help? publishers and i'm like i don't know if it can anymore like 
publishers will want to work with Google if there's something Google's doing that it's taking 30% off the top and it's making, you know, maybe three or four hundred million dollars a year at least from this. So we know that it won't just shut it down Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Like if Google has a profitable way to engage as a as a platform company and cut revenue and take take some revenue, then I trust Google. I don't trust Google to help me because it can just forget. Yeah. yeah. One thing I'm very sympathetic to with with technology companies, you know, basically enacting their own laws without Congress or anything, uh, is that sometimes they save publishers from themselves. And I think back to the pop-up, pop-under scourge, and mm-hmm. every single publisher turned on pop-ups and pop-unders at the end of the quarter. That's the thing. And <laughs> they, would have, they would be doing that today if 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 Google and then Microsoft did not put a stop to that with the browsers. Well, and this is what I... On the browser level. We're talking about AMP. What I like about AMP is that it forces a foundational technological streamlining of ad loading. So you can't end up... You don't have this full page stop while the ads come in on yeah. mobile. And that that is ultimately a really good thing. Like that's enforcing an mm-hmm. experience. Um, and it's forcing publishers to take latency seriously. And for... Years, uh, it, it seemed like a lot of publishers were not taking latency very seriously as they concocted this like this spaghetti of like ad tech calling. Well, this is what's other. tricky, right? Because you're you're looking at and what you're describing is a power structure inside of large media works where the ad salespeople show up and they're like, we need this and we need that and it has to get done tomorrow. And I understand that you went and read a Jeffrey Zeldman article, but I don't care anymore because I got needs. And so then you suddenly the consolidated CMS effort blows apart into 10 million WordPress instances because that way you can stand up the garbage that they sold and or vice versa. Or they're like, please consolidate all the CMSs into one mega CMS so I can sell larger and larger. The, the reality is like, like ad, ad folks are always dissatisfied and never believe that anyone is listening to them. And then they sort of like, and then they sell absolute horror should shows. come to the editorial department. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, it's... Did well, they accept it? No, people don't... <laughs> this kind of communication is really hard, right? Because what you've got is a lot of people who don't understand the business side and going talking about quality in very abstract terms. And then the people who are actually driving all of the revenue into the organization throwing up their hands and going, why can't I have it? Mm-hmm. I sold it. Can I get it? And that drives a huge number of technology choices. And that's why at the end of the mm-hmm. quarter, you end up with just monstrosities crawling across your screen. Uh, so final thing is, will media companies ever truly be good at technology? I always get wary when when media companies say, well, we're part technology companies and we're also going to have this enterprise technology business off to the side where we're going to license our CMS and I mean, it, I'm the same way. First of all, a BuzzFeed or a Vox are actually very good at technology. They're dealing with millions of transactions per second in some cases. Like, they're really moving fast. Uh, and they're, I mean, a lot of that is because they're really good cloud services mm-hmm. that you can buy. And, and so there's, they're, they're inheriting the speed. But it's still, it's not trivial. It's really, really hard to pull that off and do it well and make it scalable. So... There's an argument to be made that some of the big platform plays have very strong technology um, and could say that. It's awfully hard for the legacy org with a um, legacy set of motivations to 
spearhead a project to create like a true technology culture because all of those competing forces, the sales team, or are we centralizing our content or in our repository or are we decentralizing so that every brand inside the giant media company can own everything? And it's, it's very, um, uh, it's awfully hard to build a good stable product culture with lots of good leadership over time in those environments. And you see it with the big media companies. There's a lot of churn, even at the top of media leadership like Conde is a great example there's just mm -hmm. there's always somebody going and it's and it's always in the news and it's hard they build some right. great properties but like the challenge right. that that person is facing is is really clear they're trying to to move and change things and they're they're getting frustrated and they're going cool thank you so much paul thank you it's good to be here Thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. This is a limited edition series of episodes where we go into the weeds of making products that make money. On the next episode, I will talk with Carl Wells, the general manager of the Wall Street Journal's subscription and memberships business. We are going to talk about, surprise, surprise, successful reader revenue strategies. And before I go, I have to say thank you to a few um, nice bits of feedback we've gotten for this series. Um, one shout out goes to Dominic, who tweeted the most recent Digiday podcast episode was amazing. It goes deep with Zach Seward at Quartz about email strategy marketers. It's definitely worth your time. Thank you, Dominic. And also, Laura J, who said, love the episode of the Digiday podcast, especially the don't send more email message. And finally, Quags, who tweeted, love this Digiday more deep dives, please. Getting in the weeds, talking horizon times, etc., is really valuable. I'm glad you liked it, Quags. And thank you all so much for listening. Um, please do uh, tweet at me if you want, uh, at bmorrissey, or, um, or send me an email. It's brian at digiday.com. And uh, also, please go to iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, and give us a rating and a review. This helps our podcast be discovered. We will be back next week with a new episode.